This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. On this week's MBFC First and Gold podcast, she's not the voice of a Valley school, but she reigns queen of the conference. I go behind the mic with the longtime commissioner of the Missouri Valley Conference, Patty Viverito. Patty, good morning. Welcome. Well, that's a wonderful welcome. I've, I've always really cherished my commissioner title, but I guess I wasn't shooting high enough. Queen, queen, that has a nice ring to it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You became the first female FCS football commissioner back in 1985. Do you consider yourself a pioneer for women in college football and athletic administration? I'd like to think that I sort of blazed a trail. And if that means pioneering, then I'll, I'll take that label. I'd I'll, I'll, wear it proudly. Um, it was kind of fun, uh, the notoriety of being the first. And uh, But I have to tell you, it's a lot more fun to have a lot more women in the room these days. I bet. You know, take me through a typical week in your job as commissioner of the conference, if there is such a thing. I was going to say the wonderful thing about this job is that typical is sort of not the word to define what I get to do. Um, Lord knows I've been doing it a long time. So if it were typical and routine, I would have probably been bored to death long ago. But because there are always new challenges and always uh, new teams to to cheer on, um, it's it's been a blast. And while you know some of the things are routine, uh, the the personalities and the people involved um, change with some regularity, and the challenges nationally are always evolving. And so there's always enough to keep me sort of engaged and interested. You know, early on, you worked in minor league baseball. Um, and as a salesperson for Procter and Gamble, uh, how did you get started in the business? And, and did you always intend to get into athletic administration? Um, no, my career path was somewhat unusual in that um, my degree, my undergraduate degree is in marketing. And uh, my first job out of college was a sales rep for Procter and Gamble, as you noted. Um, I had a sales territory in northern Indiana and uh, sold paper products for for the company. And uh, I I sort of glibly say that um, I decided pretty quickly into that stint that there had to be more to life than selling toilet paper. And so I decided, uh, again, pretty early on uh, in that stint that I I wanted to go back to school and, and figure out another path. Coincidentally, Title IX had passed and gone into effect about the same time that I was sort of struggling with what to do next with my career. And so I decided that uh, women's sports was uh, something that I had never had an opportunity as, as you know, an undergraduate or even really in my youth. I was a pre-Title IX baby for sure without opportunities. But you know, I took up tennis and I took up skiing and I, I learned a lot about myself from even that casual participation in sport. And I decided that uh, I was going to go back and get a degree in sport management and dedicate my career to, to, to marketing uh, women's opportunities. And of course, that started that way. But then I ended up as commissioner of a football league as well. You know, you've no doubt had 
other job opportunities come about through the years. But what what about the Missouri Valley Conference in particular and your current role has been the right fit for 32 years? And you do you attribute that continuity with part of the reason that the conference has had such success? Gosh, those are two really different questions. Uh, let me start with the first and say that part of the reason for staying with it uh, this long has been professional, but some of it is personal. You know, I met my um, husband-to-be in graduate school, and so we had uh, two sports careers that we were trying to manage, and um, I moved to the job in minor league baseball um, to be with him and uh, in Virginia, and the deal was if I didn't find a job I liked in sports there, the next move would be mine. Um, it only lasted a year. I was not enamored with minor league baseball. And uh, true to his word, um, he, he was the trailing spouse when I came to St. Louis in 1982 to take the Gateway Collegiate Athletic Conference Commissioner's job, which was a women's sports uh, conference. And um, he found a job in sports. And so we decided that we'd each made a move. And the next move uh, that either of us might uh, pursue had to be good enough for the other person to retire. So that's pretty high, pretty hard bar. And uh, neither of us ever reached it. So we're still here. <laughs> good for you. You know, besides your role as the football commissioner, you're also in your 25th year as the senior associate commissioner for the Missouri Valley Conference, which includes all the other sports. What, uh, what are your day-to-day roles in that duty? Well, I, I think I'd probably describe myself as sort of like uh, chief of staff. Um, I, I do a lot with, uh, you know, managing the staff and the championships. Um, I certainly stay plugged into the national issues. Um, but mostly I work with all the constituent groups from the president's council, all the coaches groups, and, um, and of course, our, our athletic directors, senior women administrators, and our faculty reps. So lots of different you know, constituency groups to uh, to communicate with and to, uh, to to work with strategically. And so I, I get involved in, in all of those things. You know, I'm curious, you know, you've been around the league, obviously, for a while. Have you ever seen as much parity as there is this year in the Valley? You know, I say that every year. Um, I remember um, back in the first year that Youngstown State was a member, and uh, they had had... Uh, great success nationally. Um, And the first year in the league, they finished third in our conference and then went on to win the national championship. So, you know, my, my, my tagline then was, you know, this league was about, uh, it was so strong that you, it was much easier to win the national championship than it was to win the league. And so it's been a very deep, strong league for a very long time. Uh, That was back in 1997. Um, but I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like we have this year in terms of the depth of the league. Uh, talk about no weeks off. Um, sometimes, sometimes I feel sorry for our coaches. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, the Missouri Valley Football Conference is considered you know, nationally the premier FCS conference in the country. And so what are your visions for the future of the conference? And how does expansion fit into that? Um, of course, you know, UND's rumored to, to be a possible future member. Um, Wichita State is exploring potentially bringing back football. You know, in your mind, what makes a good potential candidate to join the Valley? Well, before we talk about membership, it's probably important to talk about sort of the strategic vision of our league. Um, our presidents have 
have really guided this league for decades, and they've been very clear and, uh, it, and a pretty simple vision statement, which is that we are going to be um, nationally competitive at whatever level of football is the top level that the NCAA sponsors. So we know that there are there's a bowl system out there, and we don't um, we don't envy that. We don't want to be part of it. We love the playoffs. We love naming a championship, winning it on the field, um, and when we've been a really big part of that. So our goal is to to help and resource our institutions to be nationally competitive at that level. However, it's defined. Whatever you call it, however many scholarships, doesn't matter. That's our niche. That's where we belong. That's where we want to be nationally known. Um, so. Any conversation about membership would have to support that vision, support that mission. Um, you know, there have been conversations about um, North Dakota that have been quite public, you know, just in recent days. Um, there have been conversations. Those have been largely driven by um, the fact that they are interested in uh, all sports participation in the Summit League, which doesn't sponsor football. So they can't make that happen unless they find a home for football, you know, not too coincidentally, four of our football members are also members of the Summit League, and so they've asked us to entertain those conversations, and we're in those discussions pretty early in the process um, to be able to speculate where they might go. Yeah. Do you have a timeline at all as far as a number of years that you would consider adding a new member? Um, that would all be part of the expectation. Um, one of the things that I'm especially proud of for this league uh, is the stability I will tell you that in FCS, uh, migration um, to FC, you know, from the FCS level to the FBS level is, is, is pretty common and uh, almost an affliction for almost every other league. Um, we really haven't had defections. Uh, the, the one charter member that left was Eastern Illinois, and they left because they took all of their sports to the Ohio Valley and, and had to take football. Um, as part of that package. Um, other than that, you know, we've been very stable and have added great teams along the way, uh, first with Youngstown State, again, back in 1997, and then in more recent years with uh, three of the Dakota schools, and they've been great members, and uh, they've really raised the bar um, when you're you know, able to claim the five-time defending <laughs> national champ. There's a lot of bragging rights. There's a lot of bragging rights involved. Yeah, that, uh, that move looks genius now. Certainly. Yeah, I'll take all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should. Um, the Big Ten is no longer scheduling FCS opponents. They they put a ban on it. Um, how concerned are you that other Power Five conferences will follow suit in the future? And and what solution do you see for this issue? Well, um, first of all. Um, I, I still harbor hope that the Big Ten will come to their senses yeah. <laughs> and um, back off on that prohibition. Um, I certainly understand when they suggest that those teams that are um, trying to vie for a place in the college football playoffs, um, that they need to be very careful about their scheduling and schedule at the highest level. Um, oh, that, that may be well and good, but to have a ban on FCS competition across all of their teams seems foolhardy um, because I think that our competition, um, what we present is not only um, very competitive and we have four FBS wins this year, including a couple in, against big, uh, big 10 schools and a big 12 school. 
Um, so I, I think that we're not just competitive, but we also um, bring fans, you know, because we're in this geographic footprint. It makes sense. Um, you know, North Dakota State will travel with thousands of fans and buy thousands of tickets as opposed to, you know, what would uh, competition against New Mexico State do for you? Uh, and you couple that with what they have to pay in a guarantee for an FCS team versus uh, a lower level FBS team. It's 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 you know two or three times the cost. So there seem to be a lot of things in play that don't make sense with that decision. Um, though we have to respect it. Um, but I, I can tell you that up until this point in time, none of the other you know Power Five conferences um, have followed suit. Um, probably because of the reasons that I just stated. It, it's good competition. It's uh, you know local rivalry um, that that can be established. Well, not a, not necessarily a rivalry established, but but fan interest in in a lower level team that has some local interest as opposed to just bringing in somebody to beat up um you know cupcakes if you will uh and and it, and it is not as costly so i think there's a lot of good reasons um and quite frankly our teams love those games um and not just because we win our fair share of them <laughs> well you know speaking of winning the fair share of them I, I was going to ask you and this may seem like an obvious question do you think that some of the decision the Big Ten made in, in establishing that ban has to do with the success the Missouri Valley has had against Big Ten teams, especially as of late. Oh, I, I probably would love to claim that as a motivating factor, but I don't think that's it. I, I think it was uh, television partners um, saying that they wanted to establish sort of minimum standards for what their broadcast opportunities would look like. And um, you know, not all FBS FCS matchups are created equal. And uh, and you know, I, I I happen to think that we we put a, a, a wonderful team on the field that that is a worthy opponent uh, in any week against any opponent. But um, uh, again, at this point in time, the Big Ten has chosen to go in a different direction, and we'll respect that. And again, hope that they'll reconsider it in the not too distant future. Yeah. You know, last year the Valley signed a, a long-term agreement with ESPN three. And how would you evaluate that partnership between the Valley and ESPN3 so far, as well as how do you help, how do you feel like it's helping the Valley reach and expand their audience? It's been a remarkable um, addition to, to our visibility, um, our credibility, uh, really our success. Uh, the fact that we are able to have all of our games uh, broadcast on ESPN3, it's easy to find. The games are easy to find. Um, they are very, very well produced, and uh, it, it's it's global. I mean, anybody can can find us, and they can find each and every game, which is remarkable. You know, no other league at our level can claim that. There are a lot of leagues at the FBS level that can't that can't claim that, um, that every single game is broadcast one place and you can find it anytime, any, any weekend. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a really remarkable, um, opportunity for us and, uh, one that we cherish. What's the feedback you guys in the Valley office have gotten from fans so far? It's, it's been very well received. I will tell you that as recently as three to five years ago, if we would have brought a proposal to the athletic directors that said, we want to put all of our games on ESPN3, they would have scoffed. Um, that wasn't real TV. Um, it's a real testament to uh, the speed of technology taking root that we've gone from you know scoffing to embracing. 
um, in a very short period of time. And so um, I, I'm sure that there are folks out there, fans out there that um, may struggle the first time to figure out how to get their ESPN Watch app to work. But once you do, and if you're fortunate enough to have Apple TV and you're able to watch it on your big screen TV, uh, not just on your computer or your iPad or your iPhone, um, it, it, it makes a big difference. Um, again, technology has, has really taken root and it's become really standard. It's, it's the way um, millennials for sure um, take in games and, and we really don't find it an obstacle to, to any of our fans, young and old. Well, and I can tell you as, as a broadcaster too, it's a, a great service uh, when you're doing games to be able to watch opposing teams, you know, that are coming to play just to kind of see what they do. So I'm pretty obsessive about it. I, <laughs> I, I, I usually have, uh, you know, two or three uh, different games that I'm watching and flipping back and forth um, if, if they're concurrent. Um, this past weekend, uh, for the first time, I went to the Big Ten Command Center and uh, their war room and uh, watched all the games from there. And so not only were we watching and tracking all the Missouri Valley Football Conference games, we were tracking Big Ten and, and Mid-American games as well. It was kind of fun. That's awesome. My conversation with Patty continues shortly, but if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Goal, check out all the Lineup Media Group podcasts featuring all your favorite sports, including plenty of non-sports podcasts too. Now back to the show. You know, Patty, you've worked with some well-known and very successful coaches over the years. Um, Jim Tressel at Youngstown State comes to mind, uh, Jack Harbaugh who was at Western Kentucky. Um, you worked with Jim Harbaugh when he was at San Diego, who's now coaching at Michigan, um, plus several Hall of Fame-worthy basketball and volleyball coaches. What stands out about that group, and what did you learn from them? Wow, that's a great question. Um, my, my working with great national caliber world-class coaches dates back to my days when I was working at the University of Texas. And uh, Jody Conrad, who was a longtime women's basketball coach there, was probably the first uh, coach of that stature that I worked with. And I'll never forget, she did a, uh, an interview with, with a local newspaper at one time, and they asked her, you know, what separated a good coach, you know, a great coach from a good coach? And she didn't hesitate for a minute, and she said, um, tunnel vision and questionable intelligence. <laughs> A, a funny, but but there's some truth in, in that, and that that you know it, it takes a single-mindedness um, and, and a determination and a vision um, that's rare. And uh, all the people that you you named had that, and they they, they had it in a big way. Um, and I and I and, and the, the tunnel vision part of it, while it sounds like a negative, I mean you really have to be so focused and so committed. And there's always um, challenges along the way, and you. You, you have to have, you know, total faith in, in what you're doing. And, and I, I've, I've witnessed that and I've been inspired by it. You know, you briefly uh, mentioned your husband, Frank, uh, earlier in the interview, Frank Viverito, who's the, the president and executive director of the St. Louis Sports Commission. What is it like being married to someone who shares the same passion for sports as you? And how have you both managed, you know, having high-profile jobs and a successful marriage? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think it really helps a lot when you have a spouse who understands what you do. Um, and it's really special when 
that spouse not only understands but supports in a huge way. I already mentioned that you know he he left a very good job as the marketing director at Old Dominion um, to follow my career path here in St. Louis uh, with the then the Gateway and now the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and so I uh, w- couldn't have done it without him. Um, I, I'll tell one funny story. Uh, you, you said that, you know, you mentioned that we have I mean, been this, in this job a long time and perhaps other opportunities have come along. I really haven't searched for jobs, but one of the interviews I did um, take was for the Big 12 job when the Big 12 was formed. And um, one of my letters of reference was my husband, Frank. And he said all these glowing things about me um, and uh, professionally. And then he said, heck, I thought so much of her, I married her. So <laughs> that's, that's really been, that's really been um, how we've, we've sort of managed our relationship. It's been, and it's been easy to support each other because we really do have a full understanding of what each other, what we're going through. You know, I was really um, excited to learn one of your hobbies is flying trapeze. Um, and your son, Matt, as your coach, is, is just so unusual. You know, how did you get interested in that in the first place? And what is the adrenaline rush like? Well, let's talk a little bit about Matt because he's, 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 he's a unique kid in a lot of ways and, and inspiring in his own right. Um, when he was six years old, he asked his dad if he was a disgrace to the family because he didn't like sports. <laughs> being in a sports family. And it turns out he's by far the best athlete in our family. Um, and uh, he, he never really liked to compete, but he figured out pretty early on in his life that he liked to perform. And so he joined a youth circus troupe when he was 10 years old. So he's been doing this his whole life. When it came time to pick a college, he went to Florida State okay. because they have a circus club there, a long-standing 60-year-plus tradition. And he learned how to do the flying trapeze. But because he'd already been affiliated with this youth circus troupe that had him performing annually with world-class circus performers, we're talking about the Flying Melendas, uh, that caliber of, of circus, he got to uh, know a couple of uh trapeze families, one of them being the Flying Pages. Um, They're a Cuban-American fifth-generation troupe. And when he graduated from Florida State and was an accomplished trapeze artist, uh, they took him on. And so he he performed professionally for a couple of years, learned the triple somersault. I mean, he's a world-class flyer. Did that for a couple of years and decided that uh, travel was, it's hard. Circus life is hard, Um, especially if you're not born into it. And so he's been running a trapeze rig here in St. Louis for the last three years. And he jokingly said to me, you know, there has to be some reverse genetics involved here if I can do this. And Lord knows it's not dad. So I think (laughs) I'm getting it from you, mom. (laughs) And so he he convinced me to come out. And so it's a great workout. It's a lot of fun. And uh, and he's a great coach. So. You know, when you did it for the first time, I mean, were you nervous? Um, was it really hard? Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, the hardest part is climbing the 25-foot ladder. <laughs> and then the first time you step off of the, the platform that's, you know, way up there, you, you feel like you're stepping off the side of a building. But it's safe. There's a net. You're on safety lines. And they make it, uh, the coaches make it easy. And, and my son made sure that uh, I felt safe. And so do you still do it sometimes? Yeah, it's um, the rig is outdoors, so it's seasonal. So they shut okay. down a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, when I'm in town, I try to go at least once a week. That's amazing. The that really takes uh, that saying that the things we do for our kids to an extreme level, right? 
<laughs> no, I do it for me. It's great. It's, it's real evidence that you can teach old dogs new tricks. <laughs> yeah. You know, you were inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 2014. What does that honor mean to you? Um, pretty, pretty special, very unexpected, really. Um, because, you know, I, I don't, I haven't set any records. I, I'm not an accomplished athlete. Um, I, I'm just a pretty good administrator. And um, I guess there's something to be said for longevity <laughs> to be, <laughs> to be recognized. So I, I, I'll take it at that and I'll, I'll, I'll be grateful for it. Yeah. You know, you've worked on countless NCAA and athletic committees over the years, um, including serving as the tournament director for the women's final four in 2001 and 2009. Of all the national committees you've been a part of, what has been the most rewarding work you've done? I've really enjoyed all of the opportunities that have given me an opportunity to interact like across subdivisions and um, with with different positions. So when I'm able to work with, you know, not just fellow athletic administrators or commissioners, but with, with presidents and coaches, and um, that's been really challenging and, and fun. But when it comes to what's been the most rewarding, um, that 2001 Women's Final Four was magical. Um, it was the first time we'd hosted um, a national championship here in St. Louis, um, had an opportunity to put together a local organizing committee that was just amazing. And then, of course, the, the feather in the cap of it all was when, you know, then Southwest Missouri State, uh, you know, Missouri State uh, made it to the Final Four, uh, led by um, Jackie Stiles. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty magical experience and very rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Uh, you, you touched on this, too, in, very early on in, in our interview. There are now nine female commissioners out of uh, 32 Division One jobs, in, including Conference USA's Judy McLeod, who uh, became the first female FBS commissioner last year. When you walk into a conference room now and you sit at the table and see so many women, how proud does that make you? It makes me proud and it makes me comfortable and in a way that's um, really important for college sports. Uh, having having diversity at the table, um, it, it changes the conversation in a, in a really important way. And I've, I've been witness to that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, my voice in the room early on was important. You know, my participation was uh, sort of symbolic. Um, and now to see, especially in the FCS commissioner's room where it's, it's about 50-50 and, and we have minorities represent, I mean, there's a, it's, it's a very diverse group. And um, I, I think we we do good work when we have that diversity in the room. Um, and, and, I, and again, I see evidence of it every time I meet with my peers. Where do you feel like progress still needs to be made? Oh, um, that's another good question. Um, I think the challenge is maintaining um, focus on why we're all in this business and it's for the student athlete experience. And we can get all caught up in, you know, the television ratings and the revenue streams and the product on the field. And I, I think it's, it's, it's really important um, at, the, at, the, at the most basic level to, to remember why we're in this business and why we all have wonderful jobs. And it's to create um, really meaningful 
um, student-athlete experiences um, so that they succeed, um, again, both on the field and off the field. That's always been part of our mission, and uh, it's, it's something that we start every meeting with. You know, we, we bring out our mission statement and say, this is why, this is why we do what we do. Um, but sometimes it's easy to get distracted, and we just need to um, avoid that. What is something that is on your sports bucket list that you would still like to do? Wow. Um, I think I'd like to go to Wimbledon. <laughs> Not as a player. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I figured you meant as a fan. That opportunity has passed me by, but I think I'd like to go there to witness it. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Have you always been really interested in tennis? No, I didn't take it up until I graduated from college. Um, I was looking for um, some way to get connected to the uh, to the community. I was, you know, like I said, I was a sales rep for Procter and Gamble. My uh, office, my headquarters, was in Chicago, but I was living in South Bend, Indiana, and so I took up tennis as a way to meet people. Uh, turned out that I loved it, and again, it was the inspiration for me getting a sport management degree and and uh, and and being devoted to to this career. Patty, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to share? Now, I've watched enough of these podcasts that I should know that was coming and I should have some <laughs> clever, clever, oh, you should ask me about this, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Well, like what you heard from Patty Viverito on our MVFC First and Gold podcast, check out the many other podcast offerings from Lineup Media Group including your On the Clock with Matt Geiger, which talks fantasy football and the NFL draft. Head to lineupmedia.fm for more info or to subscribe. Patty, this was uh, a lot of fun. It, it, it was neat to get to know you better. And, you know, I also just wanted to take a second to thank you for all you have done for women in sports out there. I know um, a lot of the opportunities that I am getting today um, are because of, of women like you that, you know, kind of showed the way and were pioneers in the field. Well, that's very generous. Thank you. And uh, Kelly, you make us proud every time you get on camera. Thank you so much. Um, well, hopefully I will uh, see you soon and uh, otherwise have a, a great week. Thank you. Wish us well in the playoffs. I will. I'm excited to see how many teams uh, the Valley gets in this year. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.